Welcome to the Power of Love show sponsored by the Dee Dee Jackson Foundation, where we shine a light on loss and grief and how it impacts our lives. We are here to provide hope, resources, and a community so no one feels alone in their grief. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Power of Love show sponsored by the Dee Dee Jackson Foundation. My name is TJ Jackson and with me is my eldest brother, Taj Jackson. What's up, T? What is going on, big bro? How you doing? Good. Doing well. Very, very, very good. Today's date is November 1st, 2023. We are live, of course, on Facebook and YouTube. But you may be listening to us on your favorite podcast platform. That is correct. The D.D. Jackson Power of Love Show is not only on Facebook and YouTube, but it's on all the major podcasts. So if you'd like to consume the content that way, please look out for us on all the podcast platforms. And if you find the show entertaining or resourceful or educational, hopefully all three of those, please consider leaving a review on the podcast as it will help others who may be looking for this such important topic of grief and loss and and hope um it may help them find it with uh with more and more reviews so we want to encourage anyone who is enjoying the show to do just that please leave a review now with that said uh there's time for a disclaimer to be shared and that is we are not licensed therapists we are just ordinary people who've experienced loss in our lives we have been impacted by it and we have learned from it and what we like to do here is we like to share our opinion in an attempt to help you the viewer the listener or anyone uh we would like to help you guys get through whatever it is you may be going through with that said, though, if you if you need professional help, we urge you to seek and find it. Please do not just rely on us or our guests. All right. Um, Todd Jackson, I, I guess it's been a little while since we've done this, but I guess we should talk about uh, how people can help the D.D. Jackson Foundation. And that is quite simply um, if you, you can do help us in a variety of ways, you can share um, this episode, share prior episodes, share any episode to someone, a friend, a family member who you think may need some help. Um, we have, this is show number 299, one show shy of 300. So we've covered a lot of different topics and we are quite confident that there is a topic out for almost everybody who may need, uh, help because obviously, one thing we hope our regular viewers and listeners have learned, there's different types of grief and there's different avenues and different roadways to, to heal from grief. grief. And um, th- th- we like to think that with 299 shows, we, we've, we've talked and discussed a lot and, and can help quite a bit of people out there. Um, of course, another way is you can donate. Um, we suggest if you're going to donate to please go to www.ddjf.org. It's just the the foundation's initials, the D.D. Jackson Foundation. So it's ddjf.org. And hit click the donate button there. Um, Another way you could donate, you can donate right here during these live streams on YouTube, or you can go to Facebook. So there's many ways to donate. But again, we understand if you can't donate, just sharing our content and leaving positive reviews if you enjoy it help quite a bit. Uh, Todd Jackson, anything else that I may have missed before we discuss what is going on in our world? No, I was listening. Not, not really. You hit everything. 
Okay, very good. Um, Taj, so with that said, let's go let's go quickly into an intro because we have an amazing guest um, standing by for us, and uh, we definitely want to get into that ASAP. Um, but I w- still, I mean, today's date is November 1st, which means yesterday was Halloween, and you are one with three young girls, and I'd love to just give an update on, on and I know Halloween, is it your favorite holiday? It. That and Christmas are like tied, <laughs> but Halloween gets the gets the nod just because it's like the underdog in that way. And I've always okay. loved Halloween ever okay. since I was a kid in that way. So, yeah, I would say Halloween. I like the Christmas spirit aspect of it, but I love Halloween for what it is as a holiday. Uh, what is uh? Okay, let me just go straight out. What was the highlight of yesterday? What did you guys do? Did you have a good time? And and what were you? What were the girls? Curious to know. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, the highlight is always just seeing it through their eyes in that way. Yeah. And seeing them experience Halloween and, and trick-or-treating and getting candy and telling them to go up to the go 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 up to the um, different houses and stuff and being yeah. shy and and yeah. it's that's the experience of that aspect of it that I love in that way. Um I was a skeleton, uh Tiana was a skeleton, Taylor was a ghost. And Toria decided to to oh and Tylee was a pumpkin and okay. Toria decided to go completely left field and be a ladybug. Oh wow! So we had, wow! We had a bunch of spooky things and then Toria as a ladybug. Basically, very cool, very yeah. cool, Taj. Yeah. Um. Well, I hope it was a memorable ha- Halloween for you and enjoyable. Did you do um, anything special? What did I just do? took Rio. We're we're tired, man. We we've, we've been through this eight. so many times. But Rio being eight, you know, he's still at that great age where it's all fun and exciting. And I, I so I, I just took him to a local neighborhood and and we trick or treated for about an hour and ten minutes, and he had a blast. So yeah, it, it, it got it was, a little while, huh? For you, not well. for me. It wasn't as crazy. Yeah, but it it, it was tiring. You know, I'm. I'm it's just it's fun though it was fun he got so much candy and you know who's going to eat half of it so yeah, uh, that's a whole nother a whole nother scenario but um it was good it was good can't complain i like halloween too also real quick just because i see a lot of adults very much childlike or acting like yeah. kids, like that they're excited and they're yeah. running around. and that and that for me like i feel like sometimes we lose that as adults we lose that that nature of of being excited to do something and dress up and all that stuff. So it's just, yeah, so that's so well said. And and I, I definitely saw and experienced that. It's like a, a license to be young and to be free. So yeah, exactly. uh, very, very good point. All right. Well, Taj, let's go into our show. If that's okay with you, my friend. Good. All right. So on today's episode of the power of love show, we are welcoming a special, special, special guest. Her name is Lisa key father. Uh, Lisa is a grief activist and the founder of Reimagining Grief. Lisa has more than two decades of professional experiences with grief and loss. She has worked as a social worker, narrative therapist, and educator within multiple settings from nonprofits to to corporations and universities. Lisa's wisdom and understanding of grief is also embodied from her personal losses, including the death of her husband in 2011. Lisa's grief advocacy has inspired her to create and host the top-rated podcast, Grief is a Sneaky Bitch, GSB, serve as an unjugged professor of loss and grief at the University of Texas at Austin, 
act as an organizational consultant to facilitate grief smart organizations, write and appear as a thought leader across media platforms, including her viral TEDx talk, Why Knowing More About Grief Can Make It Suck Less, and write her heavily anticipated book, Grief is a Sneaky Bitch, an an Uncensored Guide to Navigating Loss, which is set to release in June of 2024. Here today to share a bit more about her remarkable work. Without much further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Lisa Kefauver to the Power of Love show. Lisa! Hello! Welcome to our show, Lisa. Thank you so much, both of you, for having me. It's it's so lovely to be. I was saying to you before we went on air. It's nice to be on this side of the microphone. You know, the interview instead of the interviewer. Although I love <laughs> hosting my show. Probably the favorite thing that I do in my work is host the show. But it's fun to be on the other side of the mic. It's so funny you say that because as we started out on the one side of the mic, you know, being interviewed, and then yeah. since doing these shows, we've we've started out interviewing. Yeah. And I understand what you're saying. There's there's like a, a freeness to just being asked the questions yeah. and yeah. just like a I don't know. So I, I completely understand yeah. what you are saying. Oh, thank um, you. Before we get into some questions, Lisa, did I how did I do? You last nailed night? it. I was really like yes. trying to be quiet in this back bathroom here, but I was clapping away. Key it's, you know, not everybody gets it. I have to say, I probably mispronounce it every once in a while myself. You know what? Not a common, uh, not a common name, but one thing I got to say, you, you really, uh, you really gave me some great insight into how to pronounce the name. So, uh, (laughs) I, I, I phonetic explanation. I appreciate it tremendously. Yeah. Um, anyways, Lisa, you are devoted. You are devoted to cultivating yeah. a more grief-informed society through various means, yeah. such as activism, teaching, hosting a podcast, and writing a book. And that's just some of the things you're doing. Yeah. I want to start off here. What drives your passion and commitment to creating a more grief-literate world? with your brand and reimagining grief. Yeah. Yeah. Not many people grow up and think like, I want to be a grief activist when I grow up. Probably not your childhood um, dream. Uh, A long and short answer. It really comes from my personal and professional, you know, worlds sort of colliding. Um, That's what drew me to create reimagining grief formally, which happened in 2019. I am a social worker, as you were sharing at the top of the show. So I spent my early social work career in foster care, adoption, public housing, crisis intervention. So I was seeing grief and loss, although we weren't naming it as grief and loss, right? Like the world was saying, oh, it's depression, it's oppositional behavior disorders, right? We were pathologizing people really, when I look back now, having experienced profound loss, but nobody was naming it as loss and the pathology there. And at the time, I was at the clinical director of a nonprofit when my very young husband and I, my husband who had been misdiagnosed for a year, um, was told he had a grapefruit-sized brain tumor and died within two in my arms within two weeks. Mm. You know, after getting the diagnosis, and here I was in the professional world. I am, you know, top 
therapists, mental health in this field. And I looked around at the field and really began to see how grief illiterate, even the people who you would think should be the most grief illiterate were and how much harm that was causing myself, my daughter. And then I started to really understand the ways in which all of us collectively had been doing a disservice to the folks in the community. So there was some gap between that time. So my husband passed in 2011. I went on to found a nonprofit that helped cancer patients do other work. And really in 2018, 2019, with a previous health scare, not the one that I'm navigating right now, I thought I can't have gone through this personal and professional profound experience of grief and loss, be a speaker, be a writer, because I had, of course, done things as, as a founder of a nonprofit in terms of the public space and not do something with it. I could really see the ways in which we were all suffering unnecessarily in our grief. And I had all this experience and I felt like it would actually be, it was my calling to find a way to you know, shift the culture. So that's what happened. A hundred percent of us experience grief multiple times in our lives. And yet, mm -hmm. and yet, yeah, so illiterate. And so between mm -hmm. my training in narrative therapy, as a social worker, as a speaker, as a writer, all those things sort of coalesced for me to say, what am I doing with this one sweet life that I have, Got you it. know? Um, and and much to the chagrin of most people in my life as an only parent and having worked in nonprofit, which means, you know, not making a lot of money. I'm like, I'm mm -hmm. quitting my job and creating a company all about grief and I'm going to launch a podcast. And this is 2019, by the way. So pre pandemic, <laughs> uh, much of the chagrin of everybody. And um, I knew so deeply in my heart and soul that this is, this is how I'm going to spend the rest of my days is doing. doing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much I, I could follow up with, but <laughs> one thing I, I want to ask, because I don't think we've asked this question to any guests, or maybe it's just not a common question, yeah. something I, I can ask a lot of people. You said when your husband was misdiagnosed. Mm, um, yeah. There's all different types of grief we can experience, um, and a lot of different griefs I'm sure you went through um, just with that specific loss. Yeah. Yeah. My question to you is, and, and really for those who may be watching or listening, do you, A, do you, do you still get frustrated by the misdiagnosis yeah. and what have you learned about how to deal with misdiagnosis? Because that's something I don't think we've had to experience yet, yeah. uh, but I'm sure at some point it may very well happen to us, but I know it happens quite often and yeah. that's different thing because then you start playing a what if game or yeah yeah and i'm curious since you've experienced it if you could share some insight into that 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 journey that you had to go through or are still going through yeah okay a couple of things i want to touch on so help wrap me around if i get sort of lost i've actually okay. gone through it i've gone through it twice so i did go through it with my husband but the cancer that i'm experiencing which is if you're watching wondering why i have this very awesome pixie cut it's because i lost all my hair because I'm going through cancer treatment myself now. But um, I think there's two things about the misdiagnosis and the what ifs that I want to touch on and the kind of ambiguous grief that I went through that I think is a common form of grief that many of us experience based on different circumstances. So as I mentioned, he I was 40, he was 44 at the time. We ran triathlons, very healthy, and he started to become a very, very different person behaviorally, 
physically, cognitively. We went from doctor to doctor. They said, oh, it's depression. Put him on pills. Then he got worse. They said, forget the pills were the wrong pills. Take him off the pills. Go to therapy. Anyways, long story longer, our lives really unraveled to a point where it was dangerous in my house and um, uncomfortable. So when the diagnosis came, as I said, two and a half weeks before him, him passing in my arms, there was a revelation and thankfully a time for us to come back together and sort of acknowledge, oh, this is what's been going on. This is why it's been and sort of reconcile, which I'm eternally grateful for. But the ambiguous grief that happened there was there I was in the room, which I think anybody who has a family member with Alzheimer's, dementia, addiction, right? I was looking at the person I knew and loved, but he was not the person I knew and loved. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so to give, I didn't name it as ambiguous grief at the time because I didn't have this lexicon of language that I do now, but it would have been so helpful because I think for many of us who experience any kind of ambiguous grief, we don't feel like we have permission to grieve really because, well, at least because people start stupid sentences with the phrase, at least, at least they're mm -hmm. still alive, at least they're whatever. So I think that was really problematic. And certainly in the early years after his passing, I did a lot of, and I yelled at the doctors, I insisted and they just didn't, they never ran a test for an entire year. And then they ran the MRI and found the thing. So I definitely played a lot of what ifs for a while, like many of us do if we've lost a family member to death by suicide or addiction or right any of these things. And I don't remember if it was a friend or a fellow therapist said to me, you know, the what ifs and the ruminations. Actually, I had a guest recently who said a version of this too, which was so helpful. It was like, if you would have known, would you have done something to prevent the outcome? And if the answer is yes, then you've got to let yourself off the hook, mm. right? So if I would have known a way to say the right words, get the thing done, I would have. And just being able to gift yourself that lets you off the hook. I think the other thing that I learned, although I hung on to that what if for a long time, which many of us do because it keeps us connected to the person and actually the what if, just like rumination, Sorry to nerd out a little here on the social, the science of it, but that keeps us from actually grieving because we just keep to keep playing the scenario that doesn't end in the bad thing. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting, very powerful. Right? It yeah. doesn't end in the bad thing. So there's that piece. So I'm, I'm not saying that I don't have days where I still rail. I do. More present to me is my own current breast cancer diagnosis, which I found the lump a year 13 months before somebody actually did a biopsy to find out that it was cancer. Mm. I had an ultrasound. I had a mammogram. They kept saying, never mind, go away. You're fine. Another mammogram, another appointment. And I kept saying, this can't be right. And um, so that brought up a lot of old stuff, right? Mm. Like here I was advocating again, being dismissed. So can I say I'm over all of that? No, I definitely still am holding on to some resentment and because you'll hear in today, both and is my favorite and is literally tattooed on my body. <laughs> um, having that diagnosis delayed allowed me to do some really powerful personal and professional things. I was able to attend to a family member who was very unwell, which I wouldn't have been if I was in the middle of treatment. I was able to relocate to California, which if you're going to go through 
cancer treatment somewhere. Southern California is a pretty good place to do it. <laughs> I was able to write my book and turn it into the publisher. I was able to keep doing my podcast. I was able to audition and get my TED talk. Like not shiny, like, oh, happy ending story because it still sucks and I've been through hell. And there's really something to be said for seeing the gift in the divine timing of things, I think. That's been mm. my, one of the paths that I've, that helped keep me from literally being laid flat on the floor because I definitely have experienced enough things to keep me there if I, if I wasn't really willing to get back up. And not that there's anything, by the way, wrong with being on the floor. Sometimes we just need a friend to come get down on the floor with us <laughs> and keep us company there for a while yeah. when we just can't get up. So, yeah. So that's it. Um, but just to any listener who has experienced any kind of ambiguous grief or had a loss where they learned later on, like I said, I've had many guests like death by suicide or they didn't know if you would have done something that could have changed the outcome, would you have? And if the answer is yes, then please inviting you to offer yourself some compassion and grace yeah. and set that down. That is so powerful. So thank you for sharing that because it takes... Um, it takes a lot of us, a village, to really educate each other in, in different yeah. techniques and, and tactics because, you know, we've made it no secret. And those who are watching, most of who are watching or listening probably have heard me say this at some point. But yeah. when we lost our mother in 94, I felt like the resources were so slim, Yeah, you know, and and first and foremost, Taj and I and our whole foundation want to commend you for all the things you're doing yeah. to help helping so many people get through this very challenging journey yeah. um by being open being honest and talking about your story and your loss and and you know all of your situations it's it's a very powerful thing so first and foremost thank, thank you. you for that yeah thanks one one thing i've already noticed about you lisa is you seemed and maybe it's because of multiple experiences of dealing with grief but you seem to um be able to shine a light on, I don't want to say the positive sides, but things you were able to do or achievements. You know, you mentioned moving to Southern California, you mentioned finishing up your book and the TED talk and all these things that came, um, you know, while dealing with an incredible challenging time in your life. Has that been something you've always been doing in terms of f focusing on some bright spots? Because that's another thing I think a lot of people you know, struggle with yeah. when, they, when they're, when they're dealt a difficult blow, they can't see any positives out of it. And I like to think that that's an important process in the healing and in the um, grounding of your situation is seeing all sides as much as you can. Yeah. 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 You know, I think a hundred percent finding the growth opportunity. My mom taught me this expression when I was really young, more swear words. Sorry. I don't know. It's okay. Okay. No more swear words. <laughs> Another different tattoo on my body is um, this expression, AFCO, another fucking growth opportunity. So when something, <laughs> you know, hell happens, it's, and, and let me just, you know, sort of cushion this by saying, I absolutely rail against toxic positivity and I don't think it's useful or helpful to do that. I think that's a bypass from being with, which is our number one job, being with every emotion and feeling that comes our way, including being with all of the emotions in our grief, because grief is not just sadness. So just saying like, I'm not like immediately something shit happens and I'm like, it's okay because, you know, and like, yeah. just like shiny, you know, Mary Poppins kind of attitude. And 
I think it's been an incredible resource for me to ask myself the question after some period of time and then ongoing, so not immediately, right, is what is the AFCO in this situation? What is the growth opportunity? Um, sometimes it's a reconnection with somebody. Sometimes it's an ability to um, see beauty in the world where you weren't seeing beauty. I mean, I cultivated a practice of beauty walks, which I've been doing for the last 11 years, which has been a mindfulness walking mindfulness practice, which has been hugely helpful. I do think, and the data is there. There's an incredible book out there called Awe by Dachner Keltner, who's a researcher professor at UC Berkeley. Um, and he describes, I don't know, 10 or 12 different categories of awe. And I 100, and awe can be that grand kind of awe, like standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon kind of awe, but awe can be in the act of generosity or kindness of another person. There's a physiological, neurobiological thing that happens to us when we're in a state of awe. And I think for me, these AFCO moments, and we've, I've only shared two, I've had more, and I think many of us have had our own, you know, multiplicity of these. Each one, not just because they happened, but because I was willing to turn into the face of them and be, sit in the suck, you know, as, as some say, has made me more able and capable to be present to awe and wonder and joy in my everyday life than I would have if I had turned away from dealing with what has happened. I mean, mm. as an example, there was, you know, a couple months in the midst of chemo besides all the pain and swelling and everything I had where I couldn't taste food or everything tasted horrifically metallic, like tasted like mm. poison. Now I can taste food. And let me just tell you, when I can taste something that tastes like that food, I'm practically crying and orgasmic at the moment, like, <laughs> right? That like gratitude. So yeah. again, not the shiny, happy, like just be happy and be grateful. Don't ever say to a griever, you know, at least you should be grateful for whatever X, Y, and Z. It's for each of us to find for ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's worked for me. It's definitely how I invite the people that I work with individually or collectively in groups to think about when they're ready, when yeah. you're ready. Can you see some beauty? Can you see some growth? Can you see some insight or some wisdom? Can you find a way to turn what you had, like you all are doing at the D.D. Jackson Foundation and impacting somebody else's life? Doing an act of generosity, someone can receive that as, as an experience of awe as well. Yeah. Mm. I haven't heard of that book. I'm going to check it out. It's so fantastic. He's. I'm working on getting him on my podcast. So hopefully he'll be on Grief as a Sneaky Bitch mm -hmm. later in season five. But if not, check out his book. I know he's been interviewed by uh, Krista Tippett's podcast on being. I know he's had a conversation with her and others. It's great. One more great time, his name? His, Dachner. I think it's D-A-C-H-N-E-R, Keltner. K-E-L-T-N-E-R. Okay. Um, Awe is the book. And they did a, you know, longitudinal, I think it was a longitudinal study. Um, he brings his own personal loss of his brother sort of as the backdrop into the book. But um, I think ritual and awe and finding our shared connectedness mm -hmm. in the wake of these profound um, losses is, mm -hmm. is medicine. It's okay. medicine. I'm going to check it out. And thank yeah. you for that. And thank you for that answer, of course. I, I yeah. love AFCO. Never heard no. of that, but it's powerful. And and uh, I'm going to start a merch line soon. So just let you know. I love it. I yeah. love it. Uh, Taj, are you okay? You want me to 
because I got more questions, but you want to go for it. Yeah, I'll jump okay. in. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, Lisa, you have a viral TEDx talk titled Why Knowing More About Grief Can Make It Suck Less. Very cool title, by the way. Uh, <laughs> you have a lot of great titles and a lot of very, you must have been a strong like English student when you're- I did. I have always loved writing and I, I was, narrative therapy was my specialty. So I think that there's a power in language. Yeah. Um, so yes, thank you. But I appreciate it. It's fun I, to have I, that I creative it. license. It's, yeah. It's beautiful. Anyways, uh, the TEDx talk, another great achievement under your belt yep. that you've accomplished. That you've accomplished. Um, I, I'm interested, if you don't mind, if you could share your experience during the process of delivering the talk and elaborate on the mission and purpose behind the talk. Yeah. So that was a, such an interesting thing. I, I, For people who have listened to my show, if you're new to me, hello. But if you've listened to my show, you've heard me say this before. Last year was such a both and year. You know, it was like I got audition and found out I got accepted to give deliver a TED talk at UT Austin TEDx talk, which uh, giving a TED talk has been a career long dream and um, got signed with a publisher. And between being, you know, agreed to have the talk and turning in my final manuscript to the publisher, and before delivering my TED talk, I got diagnosed with cancer, right? So like the universe was like, <laughs> you know, hmm. have it hmm. all. Yeah. Um, so doing the TED talk was, you know, sometimes you have dreams and then you do something and you're like, wah, wah. I did that TED talk and it was like even better than I could have imagined, even given wow. everything that was going on. One, a couple of things that were really interesting, having done the podcast for so long and and I'd spoken on stages in front of bigger audiences than that. So that like speaking in front of people wasn't a particular challenge to me. What was an interesting challenge for me is how do I take all that I want to say about grief, right? Like what is the most important things I want to say and put it in 18 minutes or less, <laughs> right? Because you cannot God. like absolutely no. And I can get on stage and like this and riff till the cows come home but with the <laughs> TED talk you have a very like you have you memorize no teleprompter an 18 minute talk wow so there's no, no, no teleprompter no teleprompter that if you will go check out my TED talk besides the audio no offense to my team but they kind of messed up my microphone so ignore the audio scratches and just watch that that is a hundred percent memorized so wow. here I am wow. going from MRI machines getting more biopsies figuring out what stage my cancer is etc and I'm like writing and rewriting and refining and working on memorizing 18 minutes of the talk so that wow. was a really unique there was a the challenge of doing that just as a speaker was an interesting challenge. As a grief activist, it was really interesting to think about again, what do I want the audience to walk away with? What's, you know, like what's the most important thing they need to know about grief, even if this is their starting place? And then get on the stage to do it. So I ended up doing, I, you can all can watch it, so I won't go over the talk, but I, I came up with this concept called the five W's of grief, which is the who, what, where, when, and why of grief. And really the show, uh, the talk, besides kind of telling my backstory, which they always invite you to do, and a TED talk was to really help expand the narratives of grief. We have this very dangerous, narrow, singular story of grief that causes a lot of unnecessary suffering. And that's why I say, that's why the titles make it suck less besides being funny is I don't think grief is hard. It's going to be hard because we've lost something that we loved, a person, a relationship, an experience, a place, memories, meaning. Sometimes we lose a dream, right? So it's not always a person. 
But what makes it harder is that we have this very narrow view of it's, you know, you move through this myth that you move through five stages, that it ends, that, you know, you're supposed to get on with it, that it only happens when it's death, only mm. if you're close to the person, you know, all the myths that we have. So I ended up coming up with this concept around the five W's that helped us expand, you know, who experiences a grief and what kinds of grief, the 10, 15 types of grief we experience and how it impacts our whole selves. That's one of my favorite parts of the talk, which is not just our emotional well-being. It impacts our cognitive, our physical, relational, spiritual mm -hmm. well-being mm -hmm. too. So it was just kind of a magical experience. It was very surreal to be you know, doing that while then literally came back two days later and went for another MRI, you know, MRI, double MRI, got another wow. biopsy. I was having surgery within less than a month after delivering my TED talk. Was, was the, the TED talk, the preparation of the TED talk help you get through? You know, it really did. A lot of people were like, oh my God, how are you focusing? And for sure, there was definitely days where yeah. I was having a hard time focusing. Also, by the way, I was still recording my podcast and interviewing guests <sighs> and teaching my class at the University of Tech. Like I was still working, but the TED Talk, I think having to prepare with that kind of precision did give me a place mm -hmm. to escape from the fear, from the rage that I felt about the, um, and not escape completely. Let me just be clear. I also got myself <laughs> back into therapy and was using my somatic and my mindfulness practices, you know, but you can't live in the depths of all of that all the time. So preparing for Perfect. the TED talk and just being with joy back to our conversation about the growth opportunity and saying on wonder was like, I could say like, this all sucks so bad. And I am going to stand on a TEDx stage. Like, yeah. Uh, I, the, first of all, um, I, I don't understand. Uh, so maybe you can explain this to me. How I would have thought. Let me say it this way: I would have yeah. thought there's limits to how much grief we can handle in a day. You mm -hmm. are going through this situation. You are doing a, a, a podcast, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Yeah. You got the TEDx talk, which I know you are preparing like a mad woman to do yeah. to nail. So your life and world is literally feels like, at least it seems yeah. like was pretty much a hundred percent around the topic of grief and loss yeah. and, and you're physically going through it. Yeah. So how, I guess it shows that we can handle a lot. <laughs> That's the, you're living we proof can. of that. Yeah. And um, I, I'm curious to know, was there any escapism or was there one thing that, that really helped you or was just was it a mindset change that that you had to have or that you have that helped you deal with all of this grief related yeah issues and and topics around you around your life you know this is going to sound really odd i mean before being diagnosed with cancer of course my life and world was you know grief and yeah. loss sort of 24/7 i'm also the person in people's personal lives that shows up and writes cards and like, you know, I'm yeah. the person people send people. You're the go-to person. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm one of them. Thankfully I know a lot. <laughs> so that wasn't necessarily new. And I'll say something that sounds odd to you. People ask me this all the time. My family, especially early when I started reimagining grief, they're like, isn't this going to be so depressing? Like, aren't you getting stuck in it? And honestly, there's so much vitality and um, compassion that you can, you have to be connected with at all times to be in this space that I feel a kind of aliveness 
that is, I mean, of course it's heartbreaking. And when I have clients, when I work with one-on-one -on -one or when I'm interviewing guests, like we've had this mutual guest, Colin Campbell on our show, who's telling me the story, I'm reading his book and telling the story about the death of his two children, you know, our heart breaks, but I don't think the point of life is to look away from heartbreak. I think the point of life is to look to somebody's heartbreak and say, you love and you experience sorrow and I love and I experience sorrow and sorrow and we are in, we are one, we are in this life together. So all of that to say is that was happening predating the grief I was going through with losing my hair, losing half my breast, you know, like all the losses that I was experiencing. So I did have to dig extra deep. I doubled down when I had the energy on what I call my beauty walks, which is just a mindfulness walk where I'm looking you know, intentionally only looking for beauty, which again, in Southern California is not that hard, <laughs> but I did it even in other places that I lived. I got back into therapy myself, particularly around somatic therapy, because I knew there was a lot going on in my body that I needed to do. And I'll tell you what, becoming a widow at 40 and then, you know, going through cancer now it turned out, you know, around 52, I'm 52 now. Um, I learned and relearned the lesson I learned when I was a teenager and first became a scuba diver, which is sometimes buddy breathing is necessary. And, you know, one of the things that got me through was when people offered to help me, I let them. Mm. I mean, I'm just going to mic drop that for a minute. Like, no, when really people offer to help. It's so hard for so many of us. There's lots of cultural reasons that we don't let people help, whether it's our toxic masculinity, our capitalism, our individualism, all the myths that run all of our isms in our systems. But also as a social worker, as somebody who's in the grief space, I had a lot of myths built up that I'm, you know, and I live alone, you know, but I'm, I'm just going to handle it. I don't want to be a burden to anybody. And I'll just share this one last thing about that, which is the chapter that I still had to write between my diagnosis, which was January 20th, and the day I had to turn my book manuscript into my publisher, January 31st, was the chapter on letting people help you in grief and why it was important. Wow. Like, okay, universe, again, got it. So one of the first decisions I made when I started telling people, both my sort of community that I've built with Reimagining Grief and the show, but also my personal community was, I'm going to ruthlessly and with grace accept all offers of support. And it was awkward as so many times in the beginning. And what I learned is it's such a gift to the other person. Mm -hmm. We want to help the people that we love. And when we refuse to help, we because we think we're going to be a burden to them, we're robbing them of the experience of doing, making, taking some action in the face of what feels like something they can't control and something that hurts their heart. Mm -hmm. So letting people help me I had friends fly across the country to show up at chemo appointments with me. I had followers on social media, like daughter knit me a knit cap when I lost all my hair and sent me a sweet knit cap. You know, anytime asked me, somebody asked me for my Venmo handle, I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, which was counter, I think for a lot of us, it's really yeah. counter to our, yeah. I'm going to do this myself and I'm strong and I got this. And it was revelatory. And it, mm. to tell you the truth, it made me feel so much less alone, which was really profound because grief makes us feel alone. Cancer makes us feel alone. I live, you know, I'm a widow. I live alone. My daughter is grown and away to college. So there's a lot of aloneness. And just even though, you know, I'm new to this community, 
it's like I felt tethered to so many people. And we need that when we're grieving, when we're going through illness, mm. we need to feel tethered to community. So let people help you. It's great. It's very powerful. I mean, yeah, I, I just did a live medicine too. Yeah. I just sure. did a live stream talking about that. I didn't want to be a burden for anyone if I ever got <laughs> ill, but you, you've, you've made a great point. And so there you yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a comment from these tiny kitchens who says, I bet you never realized how strong you were Lisa to deal with all that. And you pulled through. Yeah, that's that's. And I wanted to follow up, ask you something. Yeah. Um, have you realized, have you had a new kind of aspect on your ability to handle loss and things that are thrown at you by going through everything? Like, are you finding yourself stronger or more able to handle um, more than you thought you could in the past? You know, it's an interesting question and thanks Dee for the comment. And I want to answer it sort of twofold because, you know, I can't do a simple answer. When one is, I think I appreciate people's uh, acknowledgments of my strength. I hear it a lot. And I think other grievers hear it too, especially if you're, you know, a public figure and and, and you may all have experienced this, right? With, you know, the passing of your mom, right? You're so strong. I don't know how you do it, which comes from a really beautiful place. I think we have to be careful collectively because I think when we applaud people for being strong, it does the opposite of what I was just saying. It kind of sends the message to the person that I've got to be strong and I can't show my weakness and I can't ask for help because we've decided that strong is doing it by yourself. So I think I, I do feel strong, Dee, thank you. And I think it's important to acknowledge that. I think I appreciate when I, I try to say to people, I know you're having to be strong really now strong now and I see that in you and I want you to know if you need help carrying the weight sometimes I'm here for you mm. right so it's so, it's it's acknowledging know, it's acknowledging the strength that you're seeing but also yes. I love yeah. it I yeah love it. um so I think that so that's the truth I do feel stronger than I you know each subsequent loss in my life I certainly feel stronger than I was before, but, and part of that isn't just from having had the hard thing happen. I think the strength that all of us gain is by being vulnerable, showing our weakness, figuring, learning new strategies, asking for help, trying on approaches or skills that worked before and now didn't. It's like we build the strength, not just for having gone through the hard thing. We build the strength by showing up in our full humanity, even in our you know, in the ugly, in the ugly tears mm. and the weakness and, and all of those things. And I certainly feel, I mean, I'm just very post radiation. So right now I feel tired and burned a little bit right now, although I've got my hair growing back. So physically I still feel tired, but mentally, emotionally, I'm finding a new capacity to feel like I can handle the waves of life with some equanimity. Yeah. I mean, nice. So I think all of us have that capacity, by the way, every single one of us. And you don't have to wait for a bad, hard thing to happen for you to start connecting with those things. It certainly is the opportunity, you know, like, but you don't have to wait for that bad, hard thing to start to ask, what is it that I'm here to do and, and how can I strengthen myself? And strengthening myself has been still showing up in support of other people, you know? Now 
Lisa, you also, which we've mentioned several times, um, but I want to ask you a couple of questions directly about yeah. it. You also host uh, the highly acclaimed podcast, Grief is a Sneaky Bitch, available on major podcast platforms. Yeah. You have certainly captured the attention of listeners. Uh, yeah. well, well, for a couple of questions. What was the yeah. inspiration behind launching the podcast? Yeah. And then also, could you provide some insight into what new listeners can expect by tuning in to your podcast. Yeah. The podcast, as I said, I mean, I do so many different things in my work, but the podcast is probably my absolute favorite, favorite thing that I do. I was an early podcast consumer, probably back before most people are podcast cool. I was going to say thought podcasts were cool. Maybe people don't. I'm a podcast nerd. I wanted to create a space where a couple of things were happening, where we were talking honestly and openly and authentically about grief and loss. And at the time, there wasn't, a, I mean, I don't know how long your show is, so I don't mean to insult you, but I wasn't aware of a lot of shows out there, mm -hmm. you know, doing that. I wanted to use my therapeutic skills and my interview skills, I knew, and, and my deep passion for holding space and bearing witness, which is in a way what I feel like I'm doing as the interviewer. That's been a sustained meditation of mine. Mm -hmm. And I think podcasting is so powerful because it um, allows us to hear someone's story and learn something from them without um, having to show up at a support group, right? Or be together in a room. Like if you're not ready to go to a grief support group or go to a therapist, hearing two people talk openly, honestly about the ups and the downs and the joys and the skills of grief and loss can be like this private way people can learn or then they learn how to talk to their brother or their parent. So I knew there was like some safety in creating a podcast. And all that to say, though, I didn't know what that I mean, I did not grow up in a musical family or with media. I was a clinical social worker. I was like Googling, how do you, <laughs> you know, a podcast? And from the minute I sat down with my first guest, I knew this was the yeah. place. And, and, you know, 75, I don't know, four seasons and 75 conversations later in hundreds and hundreds of thousands of listeners around the world is blows my mind how much those conversations not just resonate in my own mind and heart all the time. Like I think of things my guests have said years later, mm. I still get people listening to the episodes for the first time or re-listening to them and writing me. And it's not always what you think. You might experience this too, TJ and Taj. It's not always like the person who listened to the guest who they lost a son and that guest loss of sun. Sometimes the kind of light bulbs and the connections that go off are very different stories. Mm -hmm. So I love Absolutely. that. I love that a, my podcast um, can do that and, and can give people language so that they can see their own grief in a different way or show up in support of somebody else that they were scared to show up for in a different way. It's just been magical. And I'm, I'm preparing for season five right now. I'm took a break, not really this last few weeks, I wrapped season four, and I've been steadily interviewing folks for season five and just a dream come true. I, I pinch myself every time I finish interviewing a guest. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We can relate. It's been such a powerful thing for us, even in our own healing process. Yes. You know? uh, it's, and I could have never predicted that by no means. I did not expect it, but it's been such a, a positive thing for in a selfish ways for, for us individually. For um, sure. It's, it's every time incredible. I, every time I finished an episode, I've, I learned 
even though I've read you, if it's an author, I've read their book already. Yeah. I've researched them. I learn something new every single time, yeah. if not many, many new things. Yeah. Um, and I incorporate that then into my next talk or into my next class or to whatever and, and or to my own grief. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so powerful. So I, I put up the, the artwork for it and I'm going to put it up again, but yeah. the podcast is called grief is a sneaky bitch. It's on all your major podcast yeah. streaming platforms. Make sure to check it out, subscribe to it. Um, as, as Lisa said, there's, it doesn't seem like there's that many grief related podcasts. So it's important that we all support each other and, yeah. and pick up from, from information and, and learn from each other. Yeah. That's, it's the best way to, to, cause the one thing Taj and I always talk about is it seems like grief and probably because of movies. And like you said, our dependence on being strong, it seems like grief is something we've always pushed aside or, or tried to like negate. Yeah. And we, we strongly feel that the best way to, to heal is to understand as much as you can about the process and to get rid of the misconceptions and myths. And yeah. to do that, you have to, to have these kind of conversations and, and deep dive. You can't just go off of a one liner in your favorite movie or one of your, the biggest mm -hmm. movies of the, you know, so yeah. it's, it's very important to deep dive. So um, yeah. kudos to you for doing that and, and, and holding your own with, with your own podcast. And I love I just it. Think yeah. It's great. Yeah. Um, okay. Lisa. So another facet yeah. you do is, is hosting workshops. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> one of your upcoming virtual workshops is titled hold space, learning how to show up for grievers, including yourself yeah. It's scheduled for 10 days away and on yeah. November 11th. So how can interested individuals participate in this workshop? And what can they expect from the experience of working with you? Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So that's the second in a line of seven or eight workshops I'm holding over the next seven or eight months mm -hmm. um, as a way, because I get a lot of people asking to work with me one-on-one -on -one and I just didn't have the capacity to work with individuals. So this felt important. And also because I think learning in community with fellow grievers, because grief is actually a communal experience. It's not an individual experience. It is we experience it individually, but we heal collectively. So that's yeah. the other reason to hold, to kind of create that container of the group. And my workshops are kind of how you hear me today. They're not stuff. I mean, I'm definitely talking, I'm lecturing. We're going to be journaling. We're going to be chatting with each other. There's no performative sharing. You don't have to share, but it's a reflective, interactive, you know, a place to sort of hold, be in community with fellow grievers, to ask the questions that you maybe don't want to ask in front of your non-grieving friends. Um, holding space and bearing witness, as I said, was my, you know, graduate thesis. It's been a sustained meditation of mine. Um, and so that's really about really debunking all the myths that we really dangerous myths we have about what help looks like in our culture. Mm. Um, and what, and actually that our job is not to fix the griever, which is the myth that most of us carry, that our job is to hold space, which means to accompany and attend and witness, um, you know, just as they are. So we're going to be doing that. And, and this is of the, most of my workshops are just very clearly geared towards the, someone who's experiencing grief, new or old themselves. This one is going to be a really beautiful dance of the two, because as I say, we are in our lifetime, sometimes at the same time, both griever and grief supporter many times. Mm. And one of the things we can learn when we are a griever, as we get to know our grief experiences, what actually is helpful to me mm. when someone shows up and what is not helpful. Mm. 
And that might inform then how we show up differently for a griever. So this whole space workshop is going to be sort of a dance for both of us. You can show up sort of with both hats mm. on, right? Both grief, griever and grief supporter. And you're going to walk away learning some tools and some skills and maybe a reframe, you know, of what it means to show up. Lisa, can people who are interested just go to your website? Yeah, lisakeefoffer.com. And oh. up across, across the top of my page, you'll see a little starred little invitation to click to that and join the, that workshop. I'm holding one the second Saturday of every month, December. I had to switch the date because of an event. But anyhow, um, so people can sign up one off. I have some people who signed up sort of for the whole series, but folks are welcome to join. We have not hit our, I'm going to hit a certain capacity because I want it to still feel somewhat intimate, mm -hmm. but there's still space available. So if folks want to join, I'd love to have, have you there for this event or next month I'm doing one on grief in the holiday season, um, which, you know, is, can be a tough time yeah. for those yeah. of us who've experienced loss. So there's something for everyone each month, hopefully. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you, we, we, we got to talk about your book too. The highly anticipated book. <laughs> Grief is a sneaky bitch and an uncensored guide to navigating loss. It's generating a lot of buzz and is scheduled for release in 10 months. June, June 2024. So. Nine book publishing takes so long. I, I, I turned it in I last know. January. Did you? Wow. <laughs> it wow. takes so long. I don't understand the publishing world, but that's okay. I appreciate my publisher, UT Press. So thank you to them and the team there who's been helping me work with all the, you know, getting all the typesetting and all the editing. And I've had a lot of peer reviewers reviewing the book and giving me a lot of blurbs and buzz. So I appreciate it. Yeah. So what an to, yeah shit, shit. I want to know about that process. I want to know about the book. Um, yeah. What kind of emotions you had to go through in writing the book. Tell us about that. I'm very yeah. curious. It's so weird. I just got a sneak preview of the cover art of the book and I like literally burst into oh, tears because so cool. I've been, you know, dream I've been dreaming of this book for a long time, honestly. Again, in 2011 and you experienced this even before when when my husband died, first of all, none of my friends had, you know, spousal loss because who at 40, you know, not very many people. Um, but there just weren't books out there. There were some beautiful mm -hmm. books. Joan Didion had a beautiful book, right? There were some good books out there, but there just wasn't a lot of books. I also couldn't read for like a year. And I'm a voracious reader because grief brain is a real thing. We don't have time to go into that today. So this mm -hmm. book in a way has been a long, in a long time coming. Like I've sort of been wanting to write a book that debunks all the myths of grief that helps help people see themselves at each phase. Cause I'm not going to call them stages cause they're not offers tools and skills, debunks, but does it in these really digestible ways because your brain is so foggy, especially in the early phases of grief. But I was like, I'm a social worker. I'm, how am I going to write a book? And mm -hmm. maybe two years ago, I really sat down, a couple years ago, I sat down in earnest with a friend and said, I want to actually said, this is right when I started the show, here's my goals. I want to write a, a book and I want to give a TED talk. And within like four months of each, I mean, several years later, I kept working, doing all the work that I do. I got the contract and got the TED audition, you know, got it within, I don't know, three months of each other or something bananas. Cause the universe was like, Oh, did you want it? How about all now? while also going through cancer. So writing it was exciting, terrifying, imposter syndrome, all the things you hear about writing a book, 
you know, I sort of was like, mm. I have all these ideas. And then I had an outline and then I sat down to write it. And I had the like, what the fuck do I know? Who am I to tell anybody anything? You know, is my sense of, because I, it has, it has my compassionate approach. It has some, a few swear words, not a lot, even though the title is great. <laughs> it has some humor. It has beauty and art and philosophy. You know, it has all the things that make up me. So writing it was, you know, it was an up and down journey. I definitely mm -hmm. had to learn about because I had all these other creative outlets I was doing at the same time. So I had to really figure out like setting timers and kind of creating cadence for myself. I'm also good with the deadline. So the closer it got to January the 31st, the better I was at being like, okay, Lisa, no, but seriously, you got to, <laughs> you actually have to write this book now. Um, so but the beauty, and this is where I go back to divine timing I mentioned earlier, is I don't think I could have written this book four years ago. Yeah. You know, so even when I said that out loud to my friend, which I think was a really powerful manifestation of what it was that I wanted to do, everything that I've learned from every guest I've had, from every student I've taught at the university, from every individual client I've had, from the ways I've showed up for friends and they've showed up for me, what we witnessed in the world with all of the collective grief and loss that we have in our currently experience, all those things were right for that. So I would just say to you, to anybody who's thinking about, oh, I wanted to write a book. It's, it's okay. Start taking notes, open a word document, just drop your notes. It doesn't have to be, but like it's there. But I think when I look back to the timing of that contract and the deadline and everything that happened, it was like, I think I could have written a good, you know, a decent book four years ago, but I think this book is profoundly more impactful. Impactful, And you know yeah. what? The minute I turned it in and it was done, I've already thought of other, you know, you'll hear yeah. this also from writers. I'm already like, oh, I wanted to include that. So that'll be my next book, I guess. I'm going to, I'm just starting a collection of new ideas for the next book. Uh, Brandy says, I got to get that book and yes, podcast. Yeah, yeah. And then Jack Love says, hopefully she reads the audio book. I am going to read the audio book. Yes. So I definitely signed <laughs> that in, into the contract. I said, everybody knows my Midwestern twangy voice. Um, I'm from Michigan originally. So everybody knows my Michigan, you know, Midwest twangy voice. So I got to be the, we're not going to have some other stranger read my book. I got to do it. So I love it. I'm not love sure it. when that recording is happening, but it will be soon. I, I know that's ta that's Taj's favorite question to make sure that our, you know, our guests. Yeah, I'm, I'm an audio book kind of person. Yeah. Are you? Okay. Well, for sure. You know what I am too. And like I said, I think for a lot of us, it's too hard to sit still with which is why I loved podcasts too because you can take it out on a walk or you know on a drive I think audiobooks are have been really profound I listened to them a lot early on I can't do them now because when I'm reading for a guest I have to like sticky book and mark up the book yeah. and I need to take notes yeah. so I don't I don't listen to audiobooks as much as I used to just because professionally I need to be able to um, go back and I think they're <clears throat> they're a really great resource so I'm looking forward to um, recording that and getting that out along in the, around the time that the, the physical book launches in bookstores. I think the cover art is not even pretty yet, but I believe my publisher said, if you go to amazon.com today or bookshop.org and put in grief as a sneaky bitch, you'll see the paperback 
thing. There's just not a lot of cover art, you know, all the pretty stuff yet. But you can pre-order the book now. Ooh. If you want, if you do, drop me a little DM at Lisa Kefauver MSW on Instagram or drop me a note on the forum on my website and let me know you pre-ordered it. Because as we get closer to the book launch, I'm going to host a live Zoom Q&A for all the folks who pre-ordered my book so they so can ask cool. questions and have a chat. Yeah. All right. So the book is called Grief is a Sneaky Bitch. It's on Amazon. I love <laughs> By the way, I grew up and I don't swear and I grew up yeah. as someone who never swear, but yeah. I've I've had to learn how to swear, you know, interviewing people like you, yeah. Lisa. But Sorry. it's funny because when I said it, you had your smile like went up like 10%. I don't know I, if I'm I just love funny. it. I just love when other people <laughs> say the name. It just cracks me up. I love it. A sneaky bitch, you know? <laughs> um, okay, so Lisa, we are we we we're running out of time. We're gonna have to wrap up, but but yeah. I want to make sure our community knows the best way to connect with you and learn about you and support your work. Yeah. So um, I have Instagram right here at Lisa Kefauver MSW. Um, yeah. And by the way, for those who are just listening, Kefauver is spelled K. E E F A U V E R. So okay. Instagram again is at Lisa Kefauver M S W, and then also at Grief is a Sneaky Bitch. Yeah. And then we have Facebook, which is just Reimagining Grief. I don't know how Facebook handles work, but if you guess Google or not yeah. Google, but yeah. if you go in the or field, if you search in Facebook Reimagining Grief, it will pop yeah. up. Yeah. But then there's the website, Lisa. That's probably the best way. I would okay. say LisaKeefoffer.com. I have a newsletter called the Not So Regular Newsletter because grief isn't on a schedule and neither is my newsletter. So LisaKeefoffer.com, it'll probably give you a pop up or you can click forward slash newsletter. And I send that out, you know, once every two weeks, whatever. But that's where I'll have previews and links for workshops for like the book or for any free events. I do some in-person community events. Um, I'm speaking at conferences all over the country. Sometimes words are open to the public. So probably signing up for the newsletter is probably the that and maybe following me on Instagram, at least the Kefauver or MSW is probably the easiest way to get in touch with me or just to keep track of what I'm doing. Of course, like you, I love it when folks follow me, follow the pod. Mm -hmm. on Apple podcast. And if you love it, leave a rating and write a review, but I say, yeah, follow me, check me out at Lisa Kefauver MSW on Instagram or sign up for my newsletter or both. How about Lisa forward slash newsletter. Perfect. Perfect. So for those who are watching or maybe have it on Facebook, YouTube, you can see this art piece or what is it, outlay yeah. i think it's called yeah. with all the different designs from lisa kefauver.com i want to remind you about the podcast and then here's one more piece that we didn't i didn't put up yeah. in the beginning which was lisa's ted talk which is on youtube yes. um, all these links are going to be in the show notes so you can also just click on what you are interested in where you want to start from yeah. the description box in our show notes okay uh lisa the last it's part we we can't let you go without you sharing a final um, message to our listeners, viewers. Uh, what we like to do on the DD Jackson Foundation Power of Love show is give our guests the final kind of say. Uh, it does not have to be on topic. Yeah. It can be on topic, but it's uh -huh. there's no restrictions. Really, you are completely free to talk about whatever you want. I say a minute or up to a minute yeah. or even two if you want. But uh, what does Lisa Kefauver want our community to know or to think about at this present moment? 
I love this question. I actually thought about it. Um, given the collective grief and loss that is so present in our world, given that we're about on Dios de los Muertos, Muertos mispronounced that right now, I was thinking about Francis Weller as Apprenticeship of Sorrow as a great thinker and ritualist around grief and loss. And I've been recently taking an online course of his. And I'm going to paraphrase because I wrote some notes. I'm going to paraphrase what he said. But he had this beautiful message about reminding us to reconnect with the notion that we are all entangled with one another, that our love and sorrow is this universal experience. So he said, I'm going to read this. Again, it's paraphrasing. This is Francis Weller. He said, in times of overwhelm, find a place of shelter, places where we can recall what binds us together, soil and soul. In big ritual or even our own, create your own shrine. Pause in your own imagination and envision individual shrines all tangled together across many miles, creating and holding us together in our shared intention our shared love and our shared sorrow for the world. We are wildly entangled. Mm. Nice. Yeah. It's powerful. Yeah. Very, so very just powerful. When you walk out the door today, when you pick up your coffee at a from a barista, when you pick your kid up from school, when you are frustrated in traffic, when you see feel the overwhelm of the news just check back into that internal knowing that we all have, that we are deeply, wildly entangled and that we all long for love. We all experience sorrow. And I think that is what allows us a sense of equanimity when the world feels so overwhelming. Yeah. 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 As Carrie says, I love that so much. Denise says beautiful. Yeah. And Brenda says powerful. Yeah. Um, so much great stuff we've learned uh, having you on our show. We thank you so much, Lisa. Yeah. There are some more comments I want to uh, share. And that is another one from Brenda who says she is a powerful guest. I really respect her and her story and how she has done so much. I applaud her. Yeah. Um, thank you, Brenda. Sh Shauna says, I'm extremely proud of you, Lisa. I guess I'm not there yet. Um, That's that's okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Brandi, Brandy says, this has been the best show I've seen in a while. Oh, Thanks, DBJ and Lisa Brandy. for a wonderful show. Jennifer wants to remind everyone or remind <laughs> us to bring Lisa back on the show, please. She has yeah. a lot to say and we are here for it. Uh, but Thanks, this, is what, this is what I want to say. Jennifer said, want to remind everyone to request yes. Lisa's book at your local library. Yes. To get her book on their shelves. Love me and some libraries. My favorite and, place to be. It's wonderful, wonderful, yeah. wonderful. And then Lisa's going to piggyback and said, this Friday I am pre-ordering. I need this. Yes. Well, drop me a note when you do. When you sign up for the newsletter, head to my show or on my socials, drop me a note and let me know when you pre-ordered because I want to just give big love and thanks to everybody who's going to help get this book you know, ready and out into the world. Uh, there's one more comment I want to share, and that's that's for all of us. Um, yeah. Brandy says, you guys helped me through a lot of hard times, and I really appreciate it. The love and support you gave me was joy and happiness. Mm -hmm. So I'm so grateful to meet all of you. Thank you so much. And mm -hmm. I want to give love and respect and kudos to you, Lisa, 
and yeah. as well as to all of you also in the community who are chatting. And I'm going trying to go through all the chats. I know Taj is too, um, <laughs> but it's just so beautiful to see everyone rallying around each other. And it reminds me of what you were saying, Lisa, about wildly entangled. And yeah. um, it's a very powerful concept. And I think one that we need to embrace and know and think about more often. So yeah. thank yeah. you for sharing that final note. Yes. Um, is there anything else I may have missed, no. Lisa? You we no? covered a lot of ground and yeah. I appreciate your interest and your invitation to have me on the show and Absolutely. our shared passion for this work. And I hope this will, I hope this will be maybe the first of many conversations yeah. we have. So thank you so much for having me today. And thanks to everybody who wrote a kind note. I couldn't see them all, but I appreciate all the kindness and the love that folks were showing. And I'm sending that back to each and every one of you because we've all, we've all been there in some way. And so we're just, uh, you know, walking each other home as they say. Thank you so much, uh, Lisa. Taj Jackson, did I miss anything? No, just uh, thank you so much for coming on in, in, in that way. And I've so enjoyed this episode in that way. I've, I don't usually talk a lot anyway, TJ knows. Yeah. <laughs> with this. So that's not, you know, I'm always intently listening. Yeah, I could. I felt that and I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. This whole thing has been, this podcast in, in general for, for me and, and the show has been a therapeutic. Yeah. In that way. Yeah. So Big time. A lot of the stuff you said rang true and just your strength and, and just your go gettingness aspect to it too, which is something that, you know, I admire as well. So thank just you. thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you both. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah. It was an honor. I loved being on the side of the mic. Yes. <laughs> Trust yeah. me. I get it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Her name is Lisa Kefauver. Again, go to lisakefauver.com. That is the best place to start into her world. Uh, obviously a brilliant, brilliant person, brilliant guest. And, and Lisa, again, thank you for being on. Uh, we wish you the absolute best, not only for November 11th workshop, but yeah. for the book that's coming out in June and for your podcast and everything else in life that you touch. We, we hope it's the, uh, as great as it, as the TED talk was. So uh, keep doing your thing. And thank you for being such an important part of the grief community. Really oh, greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you both very much. And thanks to everybody watching and listening. I so appreciate each and every one of you. All right. We will be back next Wednesday at 1 p.m. If you want to join us live. Otherwise, again, you could check us out on all your favorite major podcast uh, platform. That is it for today. We will be back next week. We will see you all next time. Love and peace always. Adios, everyone. Bye. Bye.